Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And remember, you can follow the show on iTunes and Spotify. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and like. And also, don't forget to follow at JTime Sports on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news and coverage and things of that nature. Now, in this week's episode, I'll be talking about the NBA and what's going down there. I'll be touching on the NFL, what's happening in the offseason. I'll be talking about some Olympic coverage, and I'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. Wow, I am so excited this week. Um, I love the world of sports. I absolutely love the sports. Um, It's insane. It's mind-blowing. We've got breaking news left and right. I honestly, two days ago, was thinking to myself, man, it's going to be kind of a hard show. You know, know, I mean, I'm in the sports business. When it's a lot of off-seasons and a lot of trade deadlines, so a lot of inactivity. Think about the WNBA is inactive because of the Olympics. Major League Baseball is inactive because of the trade deadline. You have the NFL in the offseason. The NBA hasn't started their um, prep towards free agency. And, and the draft just happened last night, but they haven't prepped towards free agency. So a lot of their news cycle is down. A lot of news is in a spot where you're like, man, you know, as a sports person, a sportscaster, you really have to stretch um, content trying to get that out. Um, but, and then in the last 48 hours, an absolute news explosion, uh, which we're going to jump right into in a second, but first the other breaking news that pretty much broke today, uh, university of Texas and the university of Oklahoma have officially accepted bids from the sec or invitations rather from the sec to join effective July 1st, 2025. Uh, the reason why it's so far away, which is four seasons or three seasons, three and a half years, is because they are locked into media deals with the Big 12 uh, until 2025, until the academic calendar ends of the 2024-2025 season, which is technically July 1st or June 30th. So they'll officially join the SEC July 1st. So you will see the first conference games of football and basketball for the um oklahoma and texas will officially be on the field in conference play in football uh for the 2025 2026 season uh so like september 2025 will be the first sec conference game for texas and oklahoma so that is the breaking news we got in the show obviously it changed a lot in basketball it changed a lot in football it changed a lot in baseball because those are two powerful schools in both sports and so it's going to be very interesting to see how they adapt to the sec in terms of recruiting in terms of style of play the sec is a lot more physical in all the sports um in terms of fan base craziness ou and texas have big massive fan base but on um, the sec we like to play at night uh, and i say we because i'm a huge lsu fan um from louisiana so i always talk about we if i reference we because it's who i'm a fan of uh we like to play at night lsu big fan of them i'm a diehard lsu fan we like to play death valley at night alabama wants to play at night auburn wants to play at night if you look at a lot of the big 12 schedule not sure that to do with tv to avoid the sec night games but they play a lot during the day uh even the red river shootout it's 11 a.m during the day 
So they're going to have to adjust to that. Same vice versa. If Texas still wants to host a lot of day games, SEC schools are going to have to get used to playing at 2.30, at 11 a.m. instead of playing at 6, 7, or 8. So that is some huge news out of college sports in general. It is definitely going to change the landscape from the top down. I mean, from the, if you're gonna, it's going to change the NFL and the NBA because now instead of having to take recruiting trips just to go see Texas play, let's say Oklahoma State, you can now go see Texas play Alabama or Texas play LSU or Texas play Texas A&M again. Uh, instead of having to wait basketball season to hope that they kind of cross in the tournament, you're going to get LSU players against Oklahoma players. You're going to get Missouri players against Texas players. So it's going to be incredible to see uh, these the recruitment and who goes into whose state and steals players, all kind of stuff. The high school level has changed. Instead of now being a quarterback going to the Big 12, we may throw the ball 50 times a game. You're going to be a quarterback going to the SEC. How does that change recruiting and things of that nature? So we're definitely going to find out about that but let's jump right into the nba portion of the show uh the reason i'm so energized the reason i'm so hyped is because the nba started dropping bombs on us with russell westbrook being traded to the los angeles lakers in about the craziest 30 minutes i've seen probably since the deandre jordan saga uh what, what happened was i'm getting information i'm getting intel that that the Los Angeles Lakers are basically done with a deal with the Sacramento Kings. Now, this deal would have involved Buddy Heald going to the Lakers in exchange for Contavious Caldwell Pope, recently opted into his option, Montrezl Harrell. Um, no, it wouldn't have been KCP. It would have been Kyle Kuzma, Montrezl Harrell, and I believe a pick would be going to Sacramento in exchange for Buddy Heald. Now, it's been widely reported Buddy Heald wants out of Sacramento. Um, it's been widely reported that Kuzma's gone from the Lakers somehow, some way this offseason. That that relationship is over. Um, Montrez Harrell is going to be unfor- an unfortunate catalyst because he's making $9 million, $10 million, $9.7 $9. So he's usually the perfect number in a lot of discussions. If there's a 18 plus a 9, that gives you $27 million, so you can match dollar for dollar and things of that nature. And so we have a situation like that you have a lot of unfortunate casualties. Now, I was looking at a situation where, okay, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, you know, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm planning, I'm like, okay, you still don't have a point guard, but you're kind of upgraded at the two because at this point, I believe Buddy Hill's a better basketball player than Contavious Caldwell Pope, and he's a much more dependable shooter than Contavious Caldwell Pope, which was something that the Lakers missed. I'm like, okay, so you don't really have a point guard yet. Um, I guess you can, man, I made my head, you don't really need one. You got LeBron, but he's looking for a ball handler. So do you call Rondo again? Uh, say stay in town, but go across the hall again. Um, you got that mid-level exception for like $9 million. Do you give that to, like I said, a Rondo? Uh, you can't really trade. I, you know, I'm trying to piece it together. You know, I'm trying to piece the puzzle together for the Lakers. Um, they, you know, Anthony Davis, etc. And then all of five minutes later, news breaks. Um, I'm getting told right as the news breaks that and know in fact that the lakers and the wizards are now engaged in a deal and i'm thinking before i finish reading the sentence oh dear lord lebron has bradley beal because it's been widely reported he lebron has said it before uh he's quoted something along the lines of give me bradley beal and i'll show you how valued he truly is because one of those things where uh people talking about who's one of the most undervalued and underrated players in the nba bradley beal's name was constantly thrown out bradley beal you need to get bradley beal zach levine drew holiday 
you know, those kind of guys. Elite, uh, not elite players, but upper level players. I believe Bradley Bill's elite, but upper level players who, due to market or winning, don't get the appreciation that they should. And so Bradley Bill was the popular name, and LeBron said, again, something along the lines of, let me have him, and I'll show you how unappreciated he is, or how appreciated he is. Um, so that was my first, before even reading the finish, reading the sentence, I, I re-reading the sentence of the intel I was given, um, man, they got Bradley Bill. So it's going to be LeBron, AD, and Bradley Bill. Who cares who's on the rest of the team? And I'm like, you probably still have your exception to either get a five to protect Anthony Davis or to still find a point guard like a Rondo, whose whole job would be just to set everybody up. Don't do, you don't have to score a lick. Just get the ball to Bradley Bill when he wants it. Get the ball to LeBron when he wants it. Pick and roll with Anthony Davis to death. Get a five to protect everybody and roll. You still you still have Crusoe. You can still get Ben McLemore on a, on a, um, on a um, minimum contract. You can, you still have TAC on his rookie deal. You know I'm thinking I'm like at that point you still got Kentavious Caldwell Pope. So even if you don't even if you decide that okay KCP. Um, you know, could maybe come off the bench now. Nah, I mean, so, you know, so I finished reading the sentence and it turns out to be honestly more of a shocker. It's Russell Westbrook was the trade. And I'm go, huh? And then it becomes for Montrez Harrow, which was obvious for Kyle Kuzma, again, obvious. And they threw in Contavious Caldwell Pope. You're probably wondering why the KCP was necessary for Russ than he was for Buddy Hill. And the answer is the money. So the way that I think they were gonna finesse the trade with Buddy Hill was if you get close in the NBA, you're fine. So in the NFL, you have to match dollar for dollar. There's no way you're sending out $30 million of contracts and getting back four. You have to match dollar for dollar, value for value. So when it comes to the NBA, you don't have to match dollar for dollar unless you are over the cap which I believe the Lakers are really, really dangerous. I mean, they're over now, but I'm saying they were really, really dangerously close if they would acquire Buddy Hill. But Montrez, Harold, and Kuzma was enough of salary to mitigate the concerns. Well, when you go to Russell Westbrook, his contract is considerably bigger than uh, Buddy Hill's. So therefore, you had to throw in another moneymaker. And I'm sure LeBron didn't want to lose KCP. Uh, they're represented by the same agency and clutch. Uh, so is Montrez, Harold. But I know he didn't want to lose KCP. He's trusted him. He was on the team when they won with the lakers he hit a couple of big shots for the lakers uh struggled in the bubble for the most part and then the playoffs woke up won them a couple games it felt like where he hit a lot of timely threes so i'm sure that lebron didn't want to give him up uh that the lakers didn't want to give him up but for financial reasons you had to add him into the trade so the trade in its totality ended up being russell westbrook a 2024 second and a 2028 second for Kentavious Caldwell Pope, Montrez Harold, and Kyle Kuzma. Now, two thoughts ran in my mind. I'll address them pretty much in order. My first thought was, well, who the hell's getting Bradley Bill? Right? Because it's kind of like there's no way Bradley Bill stunk in Washington all those years. Well, he rolled John Wall and underachieved. Then John Wall got hurt two years in a row and he stunk. Then he picks up Russell Westbrook, who basically like super John Wall. And they pretty much were bad early. Team wasn't constructed well. They fought their way to the playoffs to lose to Philly in five. And then Russ is going to leave. And you're going to go back to being bad. And that just doesn't sit right with me. Um, and so 
But apparently he has decided that he's going to stay. I mean, it's been reported. I haven't heard it, but it's been reported um, that he has decided to stay in Washington, um, which is mind blowing. I mean, Dame is on the top of everyone's wish list. Bradley Bill is probably two in terms of uh, everyone's wish list and his ability to score the ball. He's a routine top three scorer in the NBA. Uh, and he doesn't do it the Harden way. Well, Harden depends a lot on the whistle. Trey Young does as well. Bradley Bill does not. He depends on a lot of the ball going on the goal off his fingertips. And so it was kind of shocking that he decided that he would stay in Washington. Now, this could be a situation where what happens if Portland calls and they offer Washington CJ McCollum, Robert Covington, uh, and two first-round picks for Bradley Bill. And Bill says, I want to go to Portland and team with Dane. Okay, now that could be a situation where he may change his mind. But as of now, he wants to stay in Portland. I don't necessarily agree, but I'm also not Bradley Bill. So, hey, but I, I would be getting out. But again, I'm not Bradley Bill. So, hey, what do I know? And then my second thought was, how the hell does this work for the Lakers? Because you add another, you lose them shooting. I, I talk a lot about Kuzma, and deservedly so, but he can make a shot. Kentavious Caldwell Pope was the shooter on the team a couple of, for the championship run. We needed a big three, ball went to KCP. Uh, at one point, they would call him KC3. I mean, he, the ball was going right to him when he needed a big three. And so he's out, again, represented by Clutch, so that would be an awkward conversation. Um, and then you lose some of your attitude with Harold. Now, again, you get buckets of buckets of attitude back with Russell Westbrook. But you don't get the shooting back. Uh, Russell Westbrook, for the first time in years, shot over 30% from three. Not over 40%. Over 30%. He shoots the he shoots the three worse than a lot of centers in today's NBA. He shoots three worse than Embiid, then Cat, then Kostas Porzingis, then Anthony Davis. The, um, he's a bad three-point shooter, especially for the volume in which he shoots them. He's a really bad three-point shooter. Uh, but he... Is coming in with a lot of energy, with a lot of expectations, and a lot of promise. Um, now, the interesting part is because none of them are great shooters. LeBron can shoot; shoots about 37, 30, with 36 to 38 percent consistently. You've got Anthony Davis somewhere in that same range. West was about 31, or he was last year, and it is an interesting scenario because all three of those guys need the ball to be successful. It's just, it's just the nature of the beast. It's just the way that they play basketball. All three of them need the ball to be successful. Why? Russ Westbrook can't shoot. So if he so that he's of literal no threat to you in the corner because he can't shoot. So it doesn't matter if he's hanging out there and, you know, oh, we're going to leave Russ to go pick up on LeBron on the drive. You should do that because Russ is no threat to you out there. You look at Anthony Davis. If I'm a big, I'd let him catch and shoot threes. He's not driving, he's not attacking, he's not putting me in foul danger. Go ahead and shoot all the threes you want, big fella. And then you take a look at LeBron. LeBron James not having the basketball in his hand is a blessing to anybody he's playing against. It is a massive blessing because if he's not, if the ball's not in his hand, that means he's not deciding the fate of the game. And that means he's also not in his dangerous, his most dangerous rather, which is driving the basketball and putting his head down. Uh, I assume, I'm going to assume that Frank Vogel has a plan, that uh, Rob Palinka has a has a offshoot plan. Okay, you've got your big three. 
great. You still got THT on a rookie deal. Caruso's on the contract. Spectacular. Um, you need shooting. So I say bring Ben McLemore back on the vet men. Uh, give a piece of that MLE to J.R. Smith. Give the other piece, uh, the biggest piece, probably seven of the nine million to Carmelo Anthony. And then you figure out a big. I'm sure Andre Drummond's going to want the biggest bag he can get. He's not going to get that hardly anywhere. Um, maybe he'd be willing to come back on a low deal. If not, you call Dwight Howard, try and trade for JaVale McGee again. But you figure out a way to get a cheap, athletic body uh, in the middle for this team. Because you're going to have to protect Anthony Davis. And what I mean by protect him is that he doesn't want to play the five. He's, he's made it abundantly clear. And basically, every stop he's been on, he's not a center. He doesn't want to play the five. He doesn't want to do that. Because the center's bang, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now... I believe he should finish at the five. Oh, don't get me wrong. He should definitely, in the last five minutes of the game, the last six minutes of the game, there should be nobody who's considered a center on the floor for the Lakers. It should be Anthony Davis playing the quote-unquote five, LeBron playing the quote-unquote four, two shooters and a point guard. So, or two shooters and Russ in this case. Right? I mean, that's your point guard now. So, you should have two shooters, preferably three and D guys uh, next to them. THC probably finishes in Caruso. I think it would be the finishing lineup. Uh, Russ, Caruso, THC, LeBron, AD. That gives you Caruso and THC shooting. Uh, you've got three ball, four ball handles on the floor. Uh, THC, Caruso, Russ, and LeBron, and AD all play good defense. So that's a pretty good lineup to finish. But for the first 43 minutes of the game, you're going to need a couple centers. Uh, I don't know how Andre Drummond fit. He kind of talked a little bit on social about... Man, I would get my old 20 and 20 if they put me on the floor more and they utilize me more. I mean, maybe he's willing to say, hey, you know, or JR Smith take another minimum. And then they go to Melo and Andre Drummond and say, split the MLE. Um, you know, Melo, you end up with five. Drummond, you get four um, or something like that. And y'all split the MLE. Y'all both come on the floor. Drummond, you're going to start and you're going to play 27, 28 minutes a night. Go do what you got to do. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, you're not going to start, but you're going to be probably the second guy off the bench. And you're going to give us 20 to 24 minutes a night. When you're on the floor, you're the, probably the primary or the secondary scoring option. You're not going to be tertiary or fourth level. Um, so you just have to make a decision if you're a coaching staff on what you want to do as an organization, really, of what you want to do with the roster. But you've got your three guns. Now, you know, I was talking about like, man, it's an it's a arms race. You've got your three bombs. You've got your hydrogen bomb in LeBron. You've got your atom bomb in Anthony Davis and you've got your Moab in Russell Westbrook. You got your bombs. Now you need to figure out your infantry and your guns and the rest of that nonsense but you are ready to go as far as who got the biggest weapons out. You were right up there in Brooklyn. Now, in terms of who I would pick right now in a seven game series, I'd pick the Lakers. The Lakers have the best player on the floor in LeBron James. They'd have the third best player on the floor in Anthony Davis, and they'd have the fifth best player on the floor in Russell Westbrook. So if you look at it that way, they have three in the top five. Now you can even say Brooklyn has three in the top six, but then I'm looking at supporting cast. I'm looking at a THT. I'm looking at Alex Caruso. I'm looking at a Ben McLemore, potentially. I'm looking at a Carmelo Anthony, potentially. Um, so where Melo's going to be on the move, I think. I don't think Melo's going to go back to Portland. And so if that's the case, the Lakers probably is a very good landing spot for him. Uh, so I'm looking at some of the roster potentially. Um, yes, the Brooklyn Nets will have a strategic offensive advantage. 
I agree. Uh, with Harden, Ky- Kyrie, and, and KD, they have the greatest offensive trio ever assembled on a basketball court, not in the Olympics. Um, but when it comes to the defensive end, Kyrie's been interested in playing defense. Harden really only plays defense when he's upset and plays in the post defense. Um, but other than that, they're not great perimeter defenders. Kevin Durant is, but he's a good defender, not great, and he's mostly because of his height. So if you've got that going on, which the Lakers on the other end can turn on defense, Brooklyn can't really turn the defense on, that's going to be an issue if you are a Brooklyn Nets team against that Lakers team. I'd have it in seven, and I'd probably say home court decides who wins it. Um, so, And I think the regular season is going to be a lot better for the Lakers having Russell Westbrook because he gives every second of every minute of every quarter of every game like it's the last second of the last minute of the last quarter of the last game. Um, he gives it his 10,000% effort at all times. And so that should alleviate some of the pressure off of LeBron James physically in terms of rebounding, in terms of assisting, in terms of running the offense. That should give Anthony Davis some reprieve in terms of rebounding, in terms of pushing the break, uh, that sort of thing. That should give them both some reprieve in uh, Russell Westbrook's arrival and help save their bodies to get into the playoffs as healthy as possible. So absolutely huge news out of the NBA with the Russell Westbrook trade. Um, and then I'm sure there will be more, but that's what we have as of now. Now we're going to shift to what happened last night in the NBA draft. Um, went in expecting Ben Simmons to be traded last night. Uh, ended up not happening, especially when we started hearing the reports of what Philly was wanting. Philly was looking for something similar to James Harden's package, which if you remember, James Harden's package was four, four picks, uh, four pick swaps, and Victor Oladipo, who's an all-star level player when healthy. So the Philadelphia 76ers said they are looking, or reportedly said they're looking for something similar, which would make their offers that they've told people uh, make sense, which was they went to Golden State and said four first round picks, Andrew Wiggins, James, and James Wiseman. Uh, reportedly they went to another team asking for four first round picks plus players. Uh, they're either looking for some kind of high level all-star player and a couple of picks or a boatload of picking assets, very MLB style, where they trade a bunch of prospects for one star major league player. That's pretty much what the Philadelphia 76ers are looking for for Ben Simmons. Um, to me, it reeks of we don't want to do this. It reeks of I don't want to do this. If you're Daryl Morey, if you are um, Elton Brand, I believe, so the GM of the team, it reeks of I don't want to do this. Because if, if Ben Simmons gets traded and then he goes to a different organization and goes off and becomes the player we think he could be, I called him coming out of school, LeBron James without a jump shot. If he becomes that sort of player, then the Philadelphia 76ers look like complete baboons and complete fools for A, not figuring out what buttons to push, and B, not developing him if it was a development issue. And so um, that is what's going down with Ben Simmons. But right now we're going to jump, like I said, right into the draft. So the first five picks, three of the five went off without a hitch. Uh, the first three, really. Uh, Kay Cunningham going to Detroit was a no-brainer. Jalen Green going to Houston, paying up with Kevin Porter. Um, Huge and Christian Wood. You've got Evan Mobley, the big man. He's going from USC. He's going to the Cavs. Then the first shocker, you had Scotty Barnes go to the Toronto Raptors. That was an interesting one. A lot of people had the fifth pick going at four uh, with Jalen Suggs 
going to the Orlando Magic. I wish those two would have switched places. Toronto needs a point guard with Kyle, Kyle Lowry out the door. Scotty Barnes being a wing player would fit right in Orlando. So I wish they would have switched locations. Uh, but this kind of almost feels like a um, like a Darko Milicic thing, where that 03 draft class, four top five are Hall of Famers and uh, excellent and multi-time champions and well, except for Carmelo Anthony. Um, but they have a lot of accolades amongst them, you know, and four to five GMs are credited with a great pick. Well, obviously, you know, the Cavs with LeBron and the Heat with Wade and the Raptors with Bosh and the Nuggets with Melo. Four to five GMs are credited with a great pick. Joe Dumars is going to live in infamy for his selection of Darko Milicic. Um, but this kind of feels like that, where it's the run player you kind of got caught off guard by that breaks up the rhythm. And we all look back in 5, 10, 15 years and go, what the hell was that GM doing? And we're going to go, what the hell, Masai Ujiri? What was going on with you? Why didn't you pick Jalen Suggs? He was staring you in the face. Now, personally, personally, I don't think Jalen Suggs is that great. Um, I believe he's good. I kind of I kind of consider him a souped-up Josh Hart. With Josh Hart's NBA player, he's rotational. Probably if he was souped-up, he would start. Um, and that's kind of why I get Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, rather. Like a starter, he's a quality starting point guard in the NBA. I don't see anything super special about him uh, on the floor. His tangibles are through the roof, but I don't see anything special with him on the floor. Um, and so that's something he's going to have to work on and improve on Orlando. He's got a lot of point guards there with him. Cole Anthony, Markel Folks. Now, I didn't get Jalen Suggs into the mix. So it's going to be a very interesting combination uh, going down for the Orlando Magic. Um touching moment by the NBA um, when they when the league drafted Terrence Clark um, we haven't seen this in a few years remember Isaiah Austin uh, found out about his medical condition that prevented him from playing in the NBA days before the draft um, so the NBA drafted him uh, and he's actually playing professionally in Europe and he's playing professionally uh, in the Big Three Ice Cube League, so you know he still finds his love to basketball. He still finds his way to basketball. But as I said, Isaiah Austin found out right before the draft he would be ineligible to be drafted due to medical condition. Um, but the NBA, quote unquote, drafted him, and they did the same thing last night to Terrence Clark. Um, if you remember, Terrence Clark was the 19-year-old University of Kentucky player who uh, passed away tragically. In a car accident heading to either the clutch sports combine or the actual nba combine um absolutely gone way too soon um sucks he saw his mother crying and his sister and it, it just it was a real touching moment by the uh nba to do that it's very rare that uh something happens that um affects the league in that way and people in the league office that way but terrence was going to be such a special young man uh not necessarily just basketball player but person in general and so the nba chose to honor him like i said absolutely spectacular moment very tear-jerking um definitely something that you don't want to watch too many times or you know experience too many times but again incredibly powerful moment um with the clark family and um in honor of their you know son brother 
father, uncle uh, being drafted. So um, that was absolutely spectacular. Um, but up next, we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about what's going down in the offseason. Welcome back into the show. Uh, in the NFL portion of the show, training camps are open. Uh, you've got highlights coming out everywhere. Everybody's producing highlights. It is spectacular at the moment. Um, you've got Drew Locke going deep. You've got Carson Wentz highlights. You've got you know Jalen Hurts highlights. Taysom Hill, James Winston. Everybody's putting out highlights. It's the highlight season. Jamar Chase uh, had a great catch. Um, Tua had a great throw. So, I mean, it's, it's the highlight season. Uh, but let's get down to business. Uh, first off, let's start off with the breaking news and the big news has been going on today. I didn't even plan on leading with this. Uh, big news going on today. Uh, Carson Wentz has a foot injury. Um, currently, the severity and the timetable for it is both unknown. Uh, they are undergoing further tests to decide or figure out whether how long is going to be out. You know, you've got people already putting out, okay, well, the Colts' first six weeks are this, 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 and this, uh, which are against five playoff teams or five good teams, four playoff teams in the first six weeks. Um, it's going to be a hard start anyway. Now he's missing valuable camp time. He's back in his old system. So Carson Wentz's uh, almost 2017 year, uh, 2018 MVP, whatever year that was, can't think of it right now. That was under Frank Wright as the offensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. He was considered the Wentz backer in the building. Um, he was considered the uh, Wentz supporter in the building. And so now that he, uh, he's back under Frank Wright, people will um, people are assuming that he is going to be fixed in a way. Um, that he is going to be positively affected by having Frank Wright as his head man and the voice in his ear, play call or all that. That's, that's Frank Wright. Um, but now he's suffering an injury. And so Adam Schefter is reporting that they don't think it's that serious. A couple other guys reporting, Tom Pelissario, uh, Ian Rappaport are also reporting that they don't think it's that serious. That it's one of those an abundance of caution situations. So if it's a foot sprain, he's supposed to be out three weeks, they may sit him until the start of the season. And he may come in cold, basically. Because you got two weeks of camp, and then you've got three preseason games. So he's got six weeks from today, give or take, um, to get ready. Because the Patriots play their first game. Yeah, the opening Sunday is 44 days away. So he has six weeks um, from today to get ready for week one. And so if it's a three week injury, you sit him for four, then the last two weeks, you get him ramped up to go for week one. Uh, five week injury, sit him the whole RSL off season, get him ramped up game week, and send him on the field week one, uh, which would be the least, I, well, the least ideal that he misses actual games. But um, in terms of preparation for the games, the least ideal situation would be, uh, would be, Having him, it's a two, three week injury, and he still gets three weeks to ramp up. Um, so that'll be the situation where um, the Indianapolis Colts are right now. Again, I didn't, I mean, it's one of those things where it's not a lot of information, but it's big news. 
Um, I had the Colts winning their division. Obviously, they're in the NFC, AFC South. Um, I had them winning over Tennessee, who was the popular pick um, to win uh, the AFC South. I had the Colts. I just believe the Colts are a better football team. I believe Carson Wentz is better than Ryan Tannehill. So uh, I believe the defense is better in Indianapolis than it is in Tennessee. And I believe that the Tennessee Titans will have to adjust to not having Arthur Smith as the offensive coordinator. So how would they adjust to that? Uh, Carson Wentz going back into a system that he is comfortable with, that he is happy with. Um, how is it, How are they going to uh, adjust to that? And so I have the Colts winning the division. But if Carson Wentz is out two months, then he'll miss the first two games of the season. Probably precautionary miss a third. You're looking at he comes back for week four. The Colts could be 0-3. And then, you know, it, it's the Titans at 2-1. and They've got a two-game division. I mean, you know, it's a lot could happen depending on the severity of the injury. And so that would be the big uh, situation or the absolute worst-case scenario, to be honest, um, for the Indianapolis Colts that Wentz misses actual game time. Uh, but we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Obviously, I'll be all over it at J Time Sports on Twitter and Instagram, uh, keeping you guys available. I repeat at J Time Sports, keeping you guys updated for that. Uh, but the, to the lead story I had planned, um, Aaron Rodgers uh, with the bombs. I mean, spectacular. It was a, one of the best State of the Union I've ever heard. It was state of my career. That's what it felt like uh, with Aaron Rodgers. It was reminding everybody who the hell he was and um, that he was Aaron freaking Rodgers. And so it was spectacular to watch. Um, I watched it on my phone. Um, the first question set off a four-minute soliloquy. It was almost as if he had something prepared. Uh, that He had practiced. He had rehearsed something similar to Jeopardy. Where he had rehearsed or practiced something that the first time he could even broach the subject he was going to just go, um, that he was ready to go on that soliloquy, that he was ready to go on that tangent. Now, I'm not sure how much of it was scripted in terms of how much of he had practiced. I'm not sure if he had practiced, it was about four and a half minutes. I'm not sure he practiced all four and a half minutes or if he had practiced one and a half minutes, two minutes, and then the rest of it just came out. Um, you know, so we don't know exactly how much preparation he went into it. We don't know truly if he prepared but you don't do what he did uh, with the kind of guy that he is and the precision in which he did it without prepping. He went through, he listed 12 players that he thought the Packers should have kept or at least done a, uh, an attempt, a better attempt at catching. He went through a list of moves he thought they should have made. He made sure to highlight the fact that he wasn't the final decision maker. It was a very, it was about a four minute speech on the question was asked, uh, believe by Tom Pelisario, the question was asked, what was this all about? And boom, it just set off a four. It was like, it was, as I say, it felt like he was waiting on the possibility that you asked that question. Any question related to why did you do it? He was going to go on this tangent. Um, and the state of the union, as I'm going to call it, the state of the Packers, um, the state of 12, you know, we're going to call it the state of 12 address um, ended up being about 20, 25 minutes. Um, just mostly him talking. It was very simple questions. Nothing really got too dicey. Um, fairly simple questions that he's soliloquied on for a minute, a question, a minute and a half a question. Um, just really dumping everything that he felt over the past few months out. Um, he said, he said, I this whole this whole time, I haven't said anything. 
Um, I haven't put any quotes out. I haven't done anything in relation to uh, this story. He's kind of just been, like he said, letting it go, letting it flow, letting it basically mind of its own. Um, and so it was the first time we, ever, we got to hear him directly. Now, we heard his friends say, oh, I just talked to Aaron and I think he feels blah. Or I just, you know, or me and Aaron just finished hanging out and I think he feels blah. Or I can guarantee you blah. Um, and that honestly was just not, um, I don't think that was in Aaron Fields. I think that, I don't think that was a, I think Aaron Fields. That was, I felt that was a, I know Aaron Fields. That Aaron told me that he felt disrespected by Jordan Love. That Aaron told me that he wanted to be included. That Aaron told me that, da, 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 but to try and protect Aaron, uh, they decided to say, I feel, or, you know, I feel as though kind of thing. Honestly, um, in regards to the Aaron, in charge to the entire Aaron Rodgers situation, it ended up resulting in a rework contract. The rework contract basically allows the Packers to keep him this year, and then after this year, all hell can break loose. There's void years involved, no new money. Uh, it's not they went and jumped him up to forty-five million dollars or forty-six million dollars this year. None, none like that. They have they added void years to the contract. Um, things of that nature in order to um, allow Rodgers the very good opportunity to leave the organization after this season uh, with the way the contract is structured. And so we're going to get Rodgers one last dance. Uh, and you see Devontae Adams. He's also uh, in a contract negotiation with the Packers. And he it was rumored that the contract negotiations fell off. And then it came out to, man, um, you know, they have no chance of restarting. And then Aaron Rodgers posted the Michael Jordan photo from the last dance. Then Devontae Adams turned around and posted the same exact thing on Instagram. Um, and then Devontae Adams, first time we've heard him, he comes out and said um, he wants to be the highest pay receiver in the game. But he deserves to be the highest pay receiver. And that in no other industry do you take less and all this other stuff. And the standard is DeAndre Hopkins, who I believe makes on average like $27 million a year or something outlandish like that. Um, he's head and shoulders above several people because the Arizona Cardinals paid a premium for his services when they acquired him uh, from the Houston Texans. And so with that being said, Devontae Adams maybe wants 27 and a half. You know, if DeAndre Hopkins make a 27.1, he may want 27.2 uh, in order to uh, be the highest paid receiver and to completely reset the market. Uh, the Michael Thomas deal was seen as resetting the market. DeAndre Hopkins deal kind of looked at like the Patrick Mahomes deal where it's not really in the market. That's more of um, not the market. That's more of the outlier contract. You throw that contract out when negotiating. Uh, it's sort of like when the first Supermax came out in the NBA, how... Um, that was seen as like the benchmark now like you kind of base off of your uh mid-level contracts and people started throwing the supermax contract out the window in terms of that negotiation period because the supermax was an outlier that shouldn't affect the contracts and so the patrick mahomes deal uh and what seemed like to be the andre hopkins deal is being used as like an outlier uh dak prescott's more of a market set deshaun watson's more of a market set uh will lamar and baker mayfield and josh allen are going to get would be market setters not necessarily uh, Patrick Mahomes, and so they will use Michael Thomas, uh, Stephon Diggs' deals in, in regards to what the market truly is, not DeAndre Hopkins, because of how much bigger 
uh, it will be than anybody else's deal for quite a long time at the receiver position. Um, so that is something interesting to uh, watch. Um, the Packers are in a bad spot. The reason why I say they're in a bad spot is you could have got your boatload of picks and players probably for Aaron Rodgers. You go to Denver and say three first-round picks and two starters, and you can have Aaron Rodgers. You probably are getting You're probably getting the first-round pick this year, the first-round pick next year, the first-round pick the year after that, and you'd probably end up with uh, one of their receivers and maybe one of their corners. They have a, a few of those. And then you just tell Jordan Love, do the best you can do. Um, but instead, you're in a situation where Rodgers is probably going to walk for almost nothing because he'll be a year older. Um, Devontae Adams wants out. You can franchise tag him, but do you really want an unhappy receiver? That doesn't ever particularly seem to go well. And so you're going to have to ride out with Jordan Love, Amari Rodgers. Uh, you decide to bring back Randall Cobb and Brian Gutekunst, who's the Packers GM, admitted as much that that was an Aaron Rodgers-based move, that that move was because Aaron wanted him. Um, and so they went and got him. I wouldn't have done it, but hey, I guess that's something that you got to do when you're in a bad spot with your star quarterback, with your franchise quarterback, with the greatest quarterback you've ever had, including Brett Favre. So you go out and make moves. You wouldn't have made, but you made the move. Just try and keep that player happy. A little contract news. Uh, Trey Lance and Zach Wilson have officially signed their rookie deal. So they were the last two to um, not sign and it was based around what they call offset language so what is offset language offset language is before the contracts over if you are cut and another team picks you up the team that cuts you has to pay less can pay less money so let's say that is year three they realize that was not good they owe them ten million dollars they owe them five million dollars right they owe them five million dollars up on the contract he and they release them Okay, and then the Minnesota Vikings say, you know, we have a pretty good quarterback coach. We're gonna pick him up. We're gonna pick him up and see if we can get something out of him. We're gonna pay him a million and a half dollars. So instead of the Jets owing him five million dollars, the Jets will now only owe him three and a half million dollars. Basically, it locks in the maximum value you can get per year because you can because the offset language, whatever the new team offers you, gets the other the original team offsets. So again, if it's five million dollars from the Jets and one and a half million dollars from the Vikings, it becomes three and a half million dollars from the Jets and one and a half million dollars from the Vikings. It just reduces out of whatever the Jets owe you in Wilson's case or the 49ers owe you in Lance's case. Uh, it locks in the maximum contractual value you can receive over that 12 month period. Um, a lot of times rookies fight it. Sometimes, most of the time teams don't put it in on high level rookie contracts because if you're a first round pick, they don't anticipate cutting you in the first four years of your career. You know, they anticipate you being a star for them, um, a legitimate, very, very legitimate star that they're going to be willing to probably renegotiate with uh, by year three, year four, as opposed to um, releasing you. But um, Trey Lance fought against it, fought against it, fought against it. Ultimately, the 49ers uh, changed. They put some offset language in, not all the offset language in. And then Zach Wilson fought it, fought it, fought it. And they were able to finally convince Wilson to let all of the uh, offset language in by giving him his signing bonus, all of it in the first 15 days. So he's going to make $23 million within the next 13 days or so. And so uh, he comes from a rich family. His uncle is owner of JetBlue. 
Um, so in order for Wilson to ensure that he makes his financial comeuppance, he forced he held he's gonna he's gonna hold his way out into a really really fast cash flow signing bonus, and um, but he agreed to the offset language. So again, something would have happened. The Jets own five million dollars. The Vikings took him up for one and a half. The Jets would only be on the hook for three and a half. So that's why offset language is in contracts a lot for NFL teams. They want to ensure and protect themselves. And so it's fairly standard operating procedure uh, for later on picks or even big contracts. They usually include offset language uh, just again to try and protect the team as much as they can. And the other big news that has been happening, obviously, in this time, uh, it's COVID. And so um, the NFL, we talked about it last week, I believe, dropped their new COVID restrictions, which is pretty much what it was last year, except there is a clear difference between the treatment for vaccinated and unvaccinated players, whether it's the time away, whether it's the protocol, whether it's what you have to do in the building, out of the building, where can you go, where can't you go, um, how are you permitted to do this, how are you permitted to do that. Um, what is the protocol if you test positive? What is the protocol of that? I mean, how do you identify yourself? You have teams, you know, having players who are unvaccinated wear yellow bands um, and stuff like that. Bright, you know, bright, bright, bright bands in terms of um, trying to identify players um, that are unvaccinated. And um, when you have a situation like that, that may be, it's not a violation of HIPAA. You have several players throwing around HIPAA law, HIPAA law, HIPAA law. Uh, this is a league that releases what injuries you have. So, um, it's not a violation of HIPAA. If anything, it's, it's a safety thing. Like, if I have a, a good group of unvaccinated players, I'm going to want those unvaccinated players to practice with themselves or by themselves as much as possible. Um, you know, if I can get a full offensive line of unvaccinated people, yeah, I can all work together on the offensive line. Um, so I get it in terms of identification. Um, the players were up in arms. Uh, like I said, DeAndre Hopkins and Leonard Fournette was talking about retirement and or don't know if they're going to take the vaccine. Uh, during the show last week, we broke a couple of news stories that coaches were being let go because if you, if you are going to be a tier one administrator, as they call you, you have to have the vaccine. Um, they just are being skirted around. Because the Vikings offensive line coach, who's the run game coordinator as well, uh, was let go. But then he was brought back as a senior advisor or senior consultant, one of the two. And in that role, um, he doesn't have to have the vaccine. So he can still maintain his vaccine stance in that role, but he can also still be contributing to the team. Uh, basically in the same capacity to a different title to avoid the um, to avoid the vaccine rules so that he has to get it so that's something i'm sure other teams will do if it comes to that but they're gonna do their best to avoid that kind of situation and a couple of players have well, one player in particular has been very outspoken against um against the situation which is cole beasley he says say repeatedly that you know he's been anti all the nfl rules anti everything the nfl is doing in regards to the covid and the vaccine but he clarified his statements the other day. He said something along the lines of, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not pro-vax. I'm pro-choice. And he's basically saying that he doesn't agree with the stance that the NFL is going to not make you take the vaccine, but it's going to make your life so miserable 
if you don't take it and something happens as opposed to somebody who does take it and something happens. So if someone takes the vaccine and then gets COVID, their path back on the field is a lot easier than someone who doesn't take the vaccine and gets COVID. Both of you got COVID. Both of you are equally as dangerous to anybody else in your building. But because you didn't take the vaccine, you have to face a longer period of coming back on the field and et cetera. And so Cole felt like that was basically trying to force players to take it, which he was against. And so he said he was very, what he called pro-choice in the matter. Um, whether to take it, whether to not take it, it's up to you. But basically don't have extra repercussions for people who don't take it as opposed to who do take it because getting COVID is getting COVID. You're just dangerous to the next person and your body don't care. Or his body doesn't care if you're vaccinated or not. If you cough or whatever near him and he gets it, then it doesn't matter. So that is something to definitely watch out for there if this bleeds into the season. But up next, we're going to shift and talk about the Olympics. All righty, guys, and welcome back in. And now we're going to talk about the Olympics. The USA has been having a pretty decent Olympics, pretty good. Uh, last I checked, we were top two in the medal count total. Uh, we were number one in the medal count total, and we were second, I believe, in golds. I haven't checked in a few hours, and there's been some events go final, so I have to check back with that. But uh, we've been doing well. We have great swimmers. We have Katie Ledecky. We have Caleb Dressel, uh, the women 4x2 team. Came, in, came for silver, but they broke the world record. Um, the top three teams all broke the world record in the women's four by two. Um, Katie Ledecky almost single-handedly brought the USA team back. She got a bad, uh, she had some ground to cane when she got in the pool and she almost single-handedly brought the USA women to gold and only the world record solo. But they will unfortunately come in second and be second place all time in terms of speed. Um, so that is something to watch out for there. Um, went basketball, great day from basketball. Um, great few days for basketball. Team USA men uh, guys lost their opening game to France, but absolutely destroyed Iran. So they're a single win away from advancing to the medal uh, contention. They'll be out of qualifying, out of the group stage. Uh, Team USA women, they're 2-0. They had a game uh, this morning, last night this morning. Uh, where they had to battle a scrappy Japan team, but USA women are big, uh, which is going to be a problem. When we played that Japan team, they were saying Japan's really, really fast, and they shoot the ball really well, but they don't have any size. They're like average height of the team is like 5'7". Um, team USA can legitimately put almost two lineups on the floor when nobody's shorter than 5'7". And so the size that Team USA displayed was going to be a problem for basically anybody. And it ended up being a massive problem for um, the Team Japan, and so they ended up winning. Um, they ended up winning their game, and they're now two and zero in the group stage. Already qualified for medal contention. Now they're just trying to get the best possible seed in medal contention, but they are in the medal tournament. So congratulations to the Team USA women and men on their victories um, in their second game. And congratulations to the first ever women's Team USA three-on-three gold medal team uh, coached by Carol Lawson, who's now the head coach of Duke. 
Uh, that team features Kia Nurse, Stephanie Dolson, uh, Kayla McBride. I cannot think of the fourth person right now. But congratulations to you ladies. A uh, hell of a job. Uh, I watched the gold medal game. It was very intense. The rules are three on three. It's very different. It's not the way you play it in the backyard, you know? It's not like three on three major shot. Okay, take it out of bounds. Um, you know, start over. Okay, take it out of bounds. You know, no shot made. Take it out of bounds. No, it's it's continuous. The only time the place, the only time it stops is for a foul or a timeout. The game is continuous. So if Team USA makes a shot, Russia ran. Now only Team USA could not get the only rebound off a make. Uh, but Team USA would run, grab the ball. I mean, Russia would run, grab the ball. Now the second Russia touched the ball, the 12 second shot clock started. Once Russia touched it, or the opposing team touched it, the shot clock started. You still had to quote unquote clear it, which is get the ball behind the three point line to come back in. So if it's a made three and you take uh, four seconds to get the ball back, you only got eight seconds to come back forward. It, I mean, it is a very competitive, high paced game. You're constantly flipping offense to defense. There's no uh, transition in between. It is pretty much when the play happens, when the shot goes in, you are there. There's no, you're, you're back on defense. Um, so it is insane uh, trying to navigate everything that um, the three on three game presents because it takes a lot out of you mentally. And being the first one, there was no proven strategy. There was no, oh, you need two shoes and a big. Or, you know, you need a ball handle, a shooter and a big. It was the first time they'd ever done it. And so it was very cool to see a new sport enter and the USA take gold in it. So congratulations to those ladies. Uh, but the biggest story to come out of the Olympics, especially the Americans, was Simone Biles. Um, she pulled out of the team all around for what many thought was an injury. Um, and then she pulls out of the individual all around. Uh, congratulations to Suni Lee, by the way. Uh, Suni Lee, American, pulls off the gold medal in the individual all around. The fifth uh, consecutive gold medal winner in the women's all around for the U.S. Um, and um, is the fifth different winner. So Gabby Douglas had won hers. Simone Biles won hers. Suni Lee's won hers. Uh, there were two more before Gabby uh, won theirs. Nobody's won it back to back. Nobody's won it two out of. Nobody's won it twice in that five year span. That's what Simone Biles was going for. But again, she pulled out uh, for what ended up being well, mental health reasons. And something I've been seeing online on Twitter, man. If I was Simone Biles, da 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 da. Man, you've never seen that. Da, 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 da. Man, she can't quit on her team. Da, 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 da. One, you're not Simone Biles. Let's just start with that. None of us are. None of us are the greatest in the world at anything that we do. I think I'm pretty good at this. I am nowhere near the greatest in the world at what I do. And even if I was, I wouldn't have the pressure she has. I didn't. I wouldn't have trained since I was seven. They showed their video of her before the team, uh, for the team circuits before you know. I'm seven, and from the time I'm seven to the time I'm 19, I trained all that time, gave my life for five total minutes of action. And I can, if I mess those five minutes up, I have to wait another four years, end up being five, but four years to get another chance to try and redeem myself. That is pressure none of us feel. If I mess the segment up, I have another show next week. If I, you know, if some of us... We, we, we work. If we work, 
and we mess a project up, guess what? We have another project the next week. We have another job. We have another day at that job the next day. She doesn't have a next day. If she messes up her floor routine, that's just it. It's over. If she messes up on the balance beam, that's just it. It's over. And she's dealing with a case of what they call twisties, which is effectively disorientation. Uh, but it's not in the sense of like dizziness. It's in the sense of she loses herself in the air it's almost like a bird that like goes above a tree and i don't know it, it's i can't it's not even possible to really explain it's like when you're driving and you zone out and you pop back up it, anybody ever experienced that where you're driving down the road and then you like wake up at home almost and you're like how did i get home you don't remember anything about what happened you basically muscle memory your way home well, twisties are she just is oriented. She explained a little better on Instagram. Uh, she was asking, she was answering questions about it uh, via uh, Instagram. And what what she explained it was when you're mid twist, you don't know what's up and what's down. So there's no way to basically there's no way to perform her job safely because she has no idea what's up and what's down. If you don't know what's up and what's down, you don't know where you are, you don't know how to land. You don't know if I have to kick my feet out more because I come, I'm coming in short, or I have to swing my feet because I'm coming in long, or whatever. Am I gonna land flat on my back? Am I gonna land on the top of my head? I don't know where I'm at. And she said it happens to her pretty much on the twist. She said it's better with just pure jumps. She's 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 a little better. Uh, she's and she's had it before. She explained that she's had it. Uh, people ask her how long have you dealt with them before and how long do they last? She said yes. She she admitted to she dealt with them before and they would last a couple of weeks. Well, a couple of weeks the end of the Olympics if it was to keep that time period. You know, she said they would last a couple of weeks and then you know they would go away. She said she's never done something this. She's never dealt with it this bad, but they would last a couple of weeks and they would go away. Uh, and then there was a video released um, of her practicing and she was landing on her back. It was a soft, they, they had like a big old soft mat by the uneven bars and she would come off normally, she would land, cool. When she would do any kind of twisting, she was landing on her back, she was landing on her back, she was stumbling to the ground because she was getting a case of the twisties. She didn't know where she was. And so the fact that we are trying to, uh, be honest, mansplain, uh, her way into what she's going through is not going to work. It's not applicable. What we go through in our daily lives and what she's going through is the world's greatest gymnast carrying a federation on her back that does not appreciate her, carrying a country on her back in terms of the sport, carrying a damn sport on her back. We're never going to experience that. We're not. And so she flat out got told by the Olympics that we're not going to score your point, score your tricks as high as they should because we don't want people trying them. Because in gymnastics, it's a combination of your difficulty score and how well you execute it. So your execution is a 10. I believe it's a, no, it's an eight. But, but, but anyway, your execution score is one thing. You can go as high as 10, I believe. And then there's your difficulty score. You're, you add those two numbers together and that's your move score. So if you have a difficulty of 6.5 and you execute it of an 8.0, you have a 14.5 for that move, you know, etc. cetera. Um, and so her difficulty should be seven, seven and a half for like her balance equal double bike. Uh, should be a seven, seven and a half, and instead they're making it a seven. Well, a lot less complicated moves, a lot less dangerous, a lot less cool moves are six and a halfs. So you're not rewarding her for trying. If she executes her Valentino double pike, 
a lot less than this other dismount from the vault a little less than the, or a little less than the other dismount from the vault she's going to be penalized for doing the harder move and so that's not what the system was designed to do the system was designed to reward her by giving her a point maybe even a point and a half of cushion to do the harder move execute less effectively than doing a safer easier move and doing it better um because the goal was to push gymnastics into the future and now simone Biles was trying to do that and basically got told don't do it and so all that pressure is being on her she's now with her family this is the first competition first olympics guaranteed that she doesn't have her family next to her um so there's a lot happening it's not the usual experience of you know the olympic village bleeds over into the city that you're in and you get to see the city like they were in rio and the olympics bled over into rio and they were able to go to see different parts of rio and experience the fans the culture and stuff like that you can't do that in, in japan because they've locked you in the olympic village basically and you can't leave uh you're bus to and from you have all kind of COVID tests and stuff like that so it's a very different experience than from her last olympics and like i said she's going through a lot and it's flat out dangerous of her to have the twists and try to compete through them uh a gymnast who had them and was paralyzed because of them uh fully tweeted her fully social media her support saying that there's a good thing she's not putting herself in danger because she went through the twisties and broke her neck uh and paralyzed herself probably for life um because of the twisties you had to go through them and landed on her head i believe um, and she's paralyzed. So the fact that we're having this discussion of trying to mansplain Simone Biles, um, I watched LeBron James melt down in the NBA Finals, and he had another game the next day. He fought out, said I hated basketball. I didn't want the ball because I hated basketball because he wanted to play villain and it didn't work. Michael Jordan couldn't handle the pressure and a lot of other things in his life. He quit basketball. He just left. Um, you have Alex Rodriguez who got so bad in the playoffs that he went down to the eighth in the batting order. I mean, there's plenty of other, other examples of players flat out melting down because of pressure. And we're going to effectively mansplain if we were Simone Biles, if Simone Biles was this person or whatever, her situation. And people said, what about Michael Phelps? Michael Phelps not only quit twice, he retired twice. He almost, he talked about openly, he's talked about suicide. That that crossed his mind a lot because of the pressure that he was going under you know they the pressure of being him was so much he openly um he's openly talked now about how he contemplated suicide i'm glad it hasn't reached that point for simone i hope it never does i think at this point in time it's more of a case of lack of confidence she's, she's lost her confidence for right now and she is uh experiencing disorientation which is something that i don't know if you guys notice it's pretty dangerous for um it's pretty dangerous for a gymnastic, an artistic gymnastics person with the flips and twists and stuff that she does. So I hope that she gets better. I would love to see her compete again. Uh, she did Instagram answer one of the questions and they said, are you going to be ready for some sort of competition? And she said, yes. She said, I'll be ready for that. Uh, she said, that doesn't involve me with as many twists. <laughs> um, so she said she'll be fine for that, which is good. That means she may go try to go 2024. Um, she's she's older in the sport. She's 24 years old, which in gymnastics is ancient. She uh, she talked about it uh, in the competition as well. How she is um, like the mom of the group, and her job is to keep the rest of the young ones in in line. Um, and so that is something that she's going to have to evaluate whether she's willing to go um, 
and trying to push for 2024 Olympics, trying to regain her throne at 27. Um, she said, I was talking about she feels pain in her body she didn't feel before, uh, that she's never felt before. So we'll see. Um, but she's definitely the GOAT. She's definitely the GOAT. Stop trying to mansplain everything. And do what's best for you, Simone, straight up. Um, do what's best for you. Do what's best for your health. Uh, we love and appreciate you. And we we hope to see you back in the competition in this Olympics. We hope to see you in 2024. But if you decide that you are ultimately done, um, that you're going to do what's best for you and protect yourself, then we're going to respect that. We will respect that. Um, and we're going to show you all the love and appreciation we can while you're doing that. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be the talk about the Major League Baseball trade deadline. And welcome back into the show and the fireworks that is happening on the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Um, the Dodgers, wow, acquiring Max Scherzer and Trey Turner at once from Washington for a boatload of prospects. You've got the Yankees picking up Rizzo and Joey Gallo. Um, absolutely loaded. Uh, more breaking news is happening as we speak. You've got guys going everywhere. Uh, the Oakland A's are picking up Josh Harrison and Yon Gomez from the Washington Nationals. So Washington seems to be in a full-on fire sale. You have uh, Craig Kimbrell heading to the White Sox. Uh, man, this is absolutely wild what's happening right now in Major League Baseball. A lot of teams are going to look different when they come back. So it's going to be huge. The New York Mets are acquiring Jose Javier Baez, excuse me, from the Chicago Cubs. Uh, this, I mean, I'm saying it's just star after star after star. Prices are through the roof right now in terms of if you want a great player, even a good player, it's gonna take, um, it's gonna take two or three uh, prospects to do it, two or three high level prospects to do it. And so teams are at the moment they're at the top. They're trying to come back to the top, like the Yankees are choosing star player now over prospect later. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies are acquiring Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy from the Texas Rangers, uh, and then you're seeing a lot of players getting moved in pairs. So, for instance, like Scherzer and Turner, both going from Washington to the Dodgers for four or five, I believe, prospects. Um, Teams are making double moves. The Yankees made their moves back to back. Um, now you're seeing other teams getting involved. The Miami as Atlanta has completely rebuilt. Excuse me, their entire outfield. Um, and so you, it's insane what's going on and the trade deadline. Executives are saying that prices are too high, and yet trades keep getting made. So apparently the prices aren't high enough, or aren't too high enough, rather for deals to be made left and right. It is absolutely spectacular. The news is popping like fireworks. Um, every time I think my phone vibrates, I think it's something else that's going on uh, with the Major League Baseball trade deadline. It is absolutely insane what's going on. The second half of the season is gonna look much different from the first. Uh, teams like the Yankees have decided, screw it. We can't get the pitching, so we're just gonna keep getting the bombers and try to hit our way out. Uh, they picked up two great left-handed hitters. You looked at the Dodgers. They're saying, man, we won last year. 
We have a couple of weaknesses, maybe. We're going to add strength on strength. So Trey Turner is going to go great right into the field. And Max Scherzer in that rotation is going to be insane. So the Dodgers, in my opinion, probably have the best rotation in the, in the game right now, especially considering that they're in that hellacious division of the NL West um, and what they're dealing with with San Francisco out there as well and Oakland out there as well. Um, so absolutely spectacular uh, situation in the in Dodgerland, in La La Land. Uh, the Angels have done nothing. So they're not, I mean, they're content with Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, I guess. But the Angels have done nothing to really fight back um, from to get into the and get into the AL West race, uh, while the Dodgers are trying to not only win the NL West but go back to back in the World Series. Um, so kudos to management in that situation as well. But I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. I thank you for joining me on this amazing Friday, uh, absolutely packed show. Uh, it turns out you can get a lot of sports news in the offseason. Uh, thank you NBA for <laughs> providing a lot of content, NFL as well, the Olympics as well. Um, so I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Don't forget to follow the show on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on your post notifications on Twitter and Instagram um, at JTime Sports. I repeat, at JTime Sports. Um, it'll show the same logo you see on the podcast. So that'll be your indication to know that it is me. Um, and so that breaking news there all the time. Um, so keep up with that if you want to stay informed on some of the biggest news in sports. Uh, but I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.